Life is often so busy, taking us here, there, seemingly everywhere. When you are unable to make it to church, we hope you are fed and nourished by listening to the preaching of God's Word wherever you are at the moment. In the meantime, take care, and God bless. Well, I might want to contextualize Jesus' soft and kind words at the end, but that will come later. Seven tiny things. Today we're going to talk about work. This is the genesis for this is this book, 12 Tiny Things, Simple Ways to Live a More Intentional Life by Heidi Barr and Ellie Rosher. So you might be wondering, I know you're very bright, that it's 12 Tiny Things. The title of the sermon series is Seven Tiny Things. Not very good at math. The thing is, we have seven weeks until Lent, and Lent's a big thing, not a tiny thing. So that's all we had time for. We ordered the books. They'll probably come today to Pastor Matthew's house because actually he's friends with these authors. It is hot off the press. Seriously, it just came out. And one good thing also about having connections, it's who you know. We're going to have a Zoom, actually probably two Zoom conversations with one of these authors this month and next month. It is a wonderful book that you should buy and pour over 12 tiny things. To give you a little idea, every single book, every single lecture, every single sermon, we hope, has some kind of nutshell. And this was the beginning of the book, regardless of how the ground feels underneath your feet. Trust that there are roots there to tend. Deep in the earth, they know more life is on the way. They know that spring will come rising from the dirt with all of its color and vibrancy. By trying on one tiny thing at a time, you can slowly, deliberately, and playfully remember who you are. You can nourish that being with tenderness. Together, we will reach and grow toward the sun. With that being kind of at the core, kind of comes out of that good place, we think that seven tiny things will make a good impact upon you and me and all. There are other people who also understand the importance of tiny things. Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. This Van Gogh guy put a bunch of tiny things together and then ended up with this wonderful starry night. One sees great things from the valley, only small things from the peak. I like that. I like that a lot. And it's the small things in life that count it is the inconsequential leak which empties the biggest reservoir. So I have two points. My gift to you, not three, but two. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, Heidi Barr, one of the authors, said my answer as a child was to be a person who painted front doors yellow. That's it. Yellow made me feel happy and front doors were the portals to love. Now, I don't know everything she's done. My guess is I hope she has a yellow door because that would actually make this story great. But she doesn't paint doors for a living. She also is an author. She's, I believe, a parent and, and spouse and all those things. But this is what we think about, right? When we're kids, we also think about the top 10 things kids want to be when they grow up. You ready for this? Santa. Police officer, chef, astronaut, prince, or princess, yes. Teacher, President of the United States, that might have changed. Doctor, celebrity slash professional athlete, either would be fine. And superhero, thank you to cafemom.com.
But I go back to their words. Here are some better questions from our authors. What are your passions? What gives your life meaning? And who are you? No, seriously, they're asking the non-rhetorical questions. What are your passions? What gives your life meaning? And who are you? I don't care how old you are, what station of life you're in. And some things I wonder about as I thought about this, I wonder through school, and I don't know everything they do, although we've had two kids go through the high school and one who is in high school, and I wonder how often they spend time, enough time on these questions. We try to get the grades, we try to get the right resume, we try to get the right classes in, but if you don't know where you're going, if they don't do it there, we should do it at home, yes? Because I wonder how many times people pick a profession based upon just a feeling or the status or it just feels good. When L.A. Law was the hit, and I know I'm dating myself, but I think it was Harry Hamlin was a lawyer, and every, the law schools had waiting lines because it was so sexy to be a lawyer. It's not that sexy to be a lawyer. I have friends who are lawyers. You spend about 2% of your entire livelihood in the courtroom. The rest of the time... Oh, you're beating heads against each other. When CSI, remember that crime scene investigation? During that time, the head of that made it seem so awesome to investigate crimes. The universities that had that program, waiting lines. You know what you really do when you do that? You investigate someone who's died. It's really not that sexy. It's sad. It's important. But what are your passions? What gives your life meaning? And who are you? They go on. We are not what we have. We are not what others think about us. We are not what we do. We are ourselves and how we show up to whatever we do in life is what matters. I actually, if you have a phone or you're at home and you're watching this some other time, if you have a great memory, if not, take a screenshot. Because you know what? I think this is actually so Profound. And just listen to me preach, literally preach for just a minute. That in this society, it kind of is what we have. It is what others think about us. It is about what we do and how many windows we have in our office and whether or not we're up here, here, or here. Imagine if it didn't matter if you could bounce a basketball or catch a football or act or sing or have tons of dough. Jesus turned that upside down. We, when it's convenient or good for us, turn it the other way around. I have some of my own. No matter how great we are at our job, someday we'll be replaced by somebody who's younger and someone who is more this or that and likely cheaper to boot. You ever been there? I always want to make sure I don't stay here too long, so I'm always watching. I'm always listening. Because you know what? When you retire, at least they did in the old days, they gave you a watch. Why do you need a watch when you don't work anymore? Give you something useful. But there's always someone coming on down the line. 
Be careful how much you, be careful how much I put into said job because it's not the end of life. It's not the be-all of life. What do you want people to say or think about at your funeral? Well, that turned maudlin all of a sudden, didn't it? But when you do what we do for a living and Pastor Gail and Pastor Roger, you know what one of the greatest things about our job is? Is that we, when unfortunately someone dies, pre-pandemic, two or four or six people would come through the front door and many times we only knew one or two people. Sometimes we don't know any of the people. And they come and they sit in the conference room. And within one hour's time, we know the fabric of their family. They tell us things that not all people in that room know. Because if we do it right, almost like a CSI investigator, and we go through and help them and know that how they live as a family is also how they're going to grieve and how they're going to live thereafter, is they, they tell us within one hour that a lot of people don't know and they've been in there for 30 years. And it's a privilege. It is an honor. And you know what you realize? It's not about what you do for a living. It's how you love. I've sat there at least a handful of times and I think at least four of them were dads. And I said, describe your dad. And the person said, at each time, he worked really hard and he made a good living. And I thought, that is so sad that that was the first thing you talked about. I've said it before. I said it at 9 o'clock. When I came and I interviewed for this position, I told the call committee that I am a husband and I am a father and I happen to be a pastor. And God help me that when I die and someone preaches at my funeral, I hope they show a great movie clip and I hope they keep it kind of short. But I hope they're able to say, because they listen, he was a great husband. At least he tried really hard and loved her with all his heart and a dad. Yes. He did okay running a church. He could tell a few stories, but it better not. I really do live my life that it's not flipped the other way. Because when you are officiating at a funeral and you look out, you can tell the countenance in the room. And when you listen to the family and say, she or he was kind and loving people. And I'm all for having a goal and being the best you can be. But when it comes your time and you're here or there or wherever else we go and meet our maker, doesn't matter. The title, how much we made. Work hard, play hard, love harder. When Randy Mass came out and said that he is the greatest wide receiver in the history, he's so wrong because he played when he wanted to play. He mooned the people at Lambeau. There was part of me that thought, I thought that was kind of cool. And there was another part of me that thought, pros don't do that. No, seriously, pros don't do that. Pros don't do that. 
for the love of the game and for the sport and its fans. You play hard, you work hard, but you love harder. And whatever it is, you love your schoolwork, you love your job, you love your sport, you love your clients, you love, that's important. An empty sack can't stand upright. I got this from my father-in-law, Ferruccio Pellici, who says, usually around dinner time, an empty sack can't stand up. And then he says, manja. Because if you don't eat, you're not vital and you're not strong. And it's what you eat. I get all that. But don't work too hard. Because every time you work too hard, and you don't have some play and some love and some fun, you go in and it's diminishing returns and you realize that you're not as vital as you could be. The measure of life is not duration, but it's donation. I've known people who've only lived 17 years, Sydney Gallagher, and I still talk about her and think about her by how she loved people. And I think of some people that I've buried, unnamed, to a 90 years old, and whew, I had to spend some time thinking about all the good things I was going to talk about because I met with the family and I thought, what a rascal, in the kindest sense of the term. Students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. My wife and I had a Zoom conversation with four of the teachers of our high schooler, and I can tell you, because I pay attention more than you think I do, for those four teachers, I knew exactly which of those four teachers cared deeply about our son. And it was a high percentage. But how could I tell? They talked about our son. His performance was one thing. But the value of his life was another. And then when you talk, it's amazing when you make up your own thoughts, when you talk to the teacher, and then when you do your own little independent study and you ask your son or daughter, it's amazing. They do correlate. Because kids know. So adults. And what's Jesus' story all about anyway? Did you think I was going to ignore that about gnashing of the teeth? I mean, what a terrible bedtime story, Right? I'll try to make it like a fifth grader because actually that's the version of the Bible that I read. I'm serious. So you have all these people and they do different things and Jesus gets a little surly, okay? If you have children, if you have grandchildren or a niece or nephew, follow me. One of your children or one of your niece or nephew or one of your grandkids has immense talent. Incredible intellect, great personality, but really doesn't apply him or herself. And you wonder, my goodness, what would happen if you actually used it? And it's upsetting, isn't it? Conversely, you might have a child or a grandchild or a niece or nephew that does not have the same innate ability, but he or she applies themselves and actually goes a lot further than you might think. Secondly, there's the psychological that one of the persons was afraid that God would get mad vis-a-vis -vis Pastor Matthew's children's sermon, worried that God would not have an eraser, so I don't want to do anything wrong because God's going to get me. Thank goodness we're Lutherans. We know that whatever we do and come up short, Jesus will erase it and says, try again. The story is a little more uplifting and 
not as damning as you might think. Point number two, whatever you do, be present. They talk about this. How are you showing up to the daily task list? Where do you put your energy? Important questions. I was going to qualify with my father. My father's 85. He had a tooth extracted. It wouldn't stop bleeding. He spent time in the hospital. He's better, thank you. But I didn't want to call him and say, Dad, can you please tell me this story? Because he couldn't open up his mouth, and it was traumatic. And so I'm making up some of the things I think. I remember it pretty clearly, but it is a story true. I think it was true of a gentleman who was a custodian, a janitor in a big church in Italy. And I don't know if you know, but when we don't have a pandemic, we have all kinds of kids going in Sunday school and they might get sick. And you have to clean toilets and you have to do things that are just not that great to do, in theory. But this particular janitor was always whistling, always happy, always just top of the morning. And I think people wondered about it, but one day somebody came up and actually had the intestinal fortitude to say, I mean, I can see your job and it's, it's just, it's hard and sometimes messy. Why are you so happy all the time? And he said, because I have the honor of cleaning God's house. I have the honor of cleaning God's house. We have the honor of ministering to you, the children of God. It's how we look at it. The always running behind but fabulous Dr. Hallman, I'll try to tell this in a quick way, but when we were going to get ready for our first child to be born, we looked in the Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine because, you know, who's ever listed number one in that magazine has to be the best. So we looked him up and made an appointment, but what we realized is that he was great, but he was also very slow. We would go to St. Paul and wait in this waiting room. He worked with another doctor, but like three people were for this other person and everybody else was Dr. Holman. And I'm not kidding when I say there was not a time when we weren't at least 45 minutes to an hour and a half late to get in. And then we would see him. He would get paged, Dr. Holman, delivery, and then he would leave. And I was like, oh my word. But when you got into his office and he talked to you, and he cared for you. And his presence was so amazing that when we left, we didn't remember that he was 45 minutes late. We couldn't wait until the next time we waited to wait for him. When we were going to have our third child, he had moved to Hudson because he wanted a night when he could sleep through the night because every night he got awakened. We went to Wisconsin. And for me to go to Wisconsin is a big deal. We went to Wisconsin to have him be our doctor because he's a great person. Even though I'm retired, I still make the world a better place. I don't want to leave out retired people because it's great when you finally realize, hey, I can do what I want. I can serve where I want. And I can make the world a better place. When you get done getting paid to do something, you can do it your way. I don't want you to forget that. 
and our wonderful handyman, Chris. I am the least handy person in the history of the world when there was a conveyor belt that says you can tell stories or you can fix stuff. It was clearly a fork in the road and I seriously am not good. I worked for the building department at Augsburg College for two years. I fixed one thing. I completed one work order. I'm not kidding. After two years, I sat down with the boss. He said, you're really not good at this. And I said, I'm not good. He said, you fulfilled one work order. I have to fire you. I said, I get it. But he gave me another job. Security. My job, at 10 or 10.30 every night, I would walk through Augsburg, and I would check all the professors' offices and see if they're locked. But almost all of them had jars of candy, and I took their candy. I was perfect for that job. It fit my passion. In fact, I got to the point where I would tell professors, can you get those burnt peanuts a little bit more because you ran out and you didn't replenish them? And he did. Chris, handy person. Our home has things that need to be done, like yours. Next door, sometimes read it, sometimes don't. But we wanted a handy person, and we, they sang Chris's praises. If you want his contact information, let me know. He came over, and he fixes things wonderfully. But you know what's even more wonderful? Chris. He used to be a boss of a lot of people. He used to have an important job, and now he has a different important job, and he's happy. And he fixes things wonderfully, and he loves himself some Jesus, and we've talked about that. And he and I get involved in a conversation, and I forget, kind of like that Geico commercial, you know, when the guys talk, no, we're hiring this person. Sometimes we talk for quite some time, but he's a person of integrity. When he gets done with the job, he'll say, I probably talked to you for about two hours, so I won't charge you. But the way he takes care of us, and before Christmas, he texted us and said, I just value your friendship. He's become our friend. He was just going to fix a faucet. Be present when you show up. I don't care what it is. You can tell when someone who's working in a place, when they're working in a place and you realize it's not just a paycheck. And I'll be real with you for a second, is that being present, I have to also preach to myself. And that there's a point of me that doesn't like to be present because there's a part of me that my mind waters or I'm thinking about something else or consider myself a genius and so I'm thinking about this. Well, you know what? I know what it's like when I meet some people and I'm talking to them and I know that their eyes are scanning around to see if there's somebody else to talk to. And I'm thinking... If you don't want to talk to me, then don't talk to me. There are other people I know that are just laser beam. And so I thought about something. How can I land this airplane and have an ending to give you a sense of what I'm talking about, being present regardless of what it is? And I thought of Costco. I know, I know, that's odd. I get my gas at Costco they sell it at cost. They don't make any money on it because they, they want to get you into the building and that's where they make all the money and I take the bait. You remember for quite some time there was a guy there who worked there and his name is Dave? 
Everybody remember Dave? All right, that's a pretty good percentage. Now, if you don't remember his name, you went to Costco Gas, and there was a guy who came up and says, hey, how are you? How is your day going? Can I pump your gas for you? He and I, one time, started talking about things, and he started to emit faith talk. And I thought, well, I'm not going to tell him I'm a Lutheran pastor, because I'd still be there with that dude. And so I said, I'm in sales. I'm in sales. He goes, okay, good. But I don't know how many times he asked me how many times he could pump my gas. And I said, no, I'm good. Because you know what? I'm good enough. I can do it. And then you go ask somebody else. By the way, he wasn't getting rich on that job. And many times he's freezing his tail off. And many times he had to deal with us who waited in line for cheap gas. And were ticked and belligerent. And can't believe that there aren't more pumps and all the things we say. And Dave's like, glad you're here. Since he left, none of the employees have asked me if they can pump my gas. And I've probably received about five hellos since he retired about a year ago. Nothing against the people who work there. I'm simply saying that when you are present and when you are passionate... Some pastor talks about someone who used to work at the Costco gas station a year later. And my guess is, Dave, whatever he did, before that, he did the same way. This week, whatever you do, whatever job you do, whatever tasks you do, do it with passion. Do it with intention. And be present. It's not tiny. Huge. So help us God. Amen. We hope you found this week's message helpful as you think about how you will live out your faith each day. If you would like to support the ministries at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, you can do so by having your credit card information available and then texting a gift to 952 260 9007. Thank you, and God bless.